Awesome. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great uh, to be with you. Great opportunity to be together. So delighted that Anthem Church is hosting us. Well done. Isn't this a great facility that they built for us? And uh, we've told Steve, thank you very much. We're going to use this so we have. And uh, yeah, just a real privilege just to come into your region. A bunch of guys from around the U.S. too. It's really good to see you. And uh, listen, friends, we are not as experts here. We are together on a journey following Jesus and doing our best to be faithful in the times and the seasons that we're living. And so we're not here to give you some stories and to give you a kind of cheerleading session. We're here to get back to the Word of God. We're here to heed to what God's doing in our time and season. And we want to hear. We want to respond. We want to be hearers, listeners, and doers. And what a, what a time, what a season. No doubt it's been challenging for every one of us. I'm sure every person who gets to speak this week will say something about this crazy season we've been in. But let me tell you this, I don't believe God sent COVID, but I do believe He allowed COVID. And the reason He allowed it is because it happened. And uh, I, I don't know all the outworkings of it, but this I know, God has used this for His church to get back to what His church has been called to do. I, um, I keep thinking about that story of Jonah. If you know the story of Jonah, most people think about a man who was in the belly of a whale. It's a whole lot more than that, that story. But if you go read, it's just four chapters. But if you read chapter one, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, for its wickedness has come up. And so Jonah, second verse is, but Jonah disobeyed and went somewhere else. And then you get chapter two, the rest of chapter one and then into chapter two. And then chapter three starts, verse one, the word of the Lord came a second time. And this time Jonah responded and went where God wanted him. And a whole city repented because of finally the servant of God getting back to what God told him to do. It's interesting that the word of the Lord did not change. But who had to change was Jonah. And God's problem was Nineveh. Then God's problem became Jonah to get Jonah back to serving the purposes and the plans of God. I, I kind of feel this week that perhaps what's going to come is not something new. It might not even be something different to what we knew pre-COVID and the season we've been in. It's God not changing His call. It's God not changing in any way. It's us, His vehicle, His people, who He's had to adjust in the season to get us back to what He's called us to do. I'm standing up here saying there's adjustments that needed to happen with me and us, and even in our ranks and our togetherness, and even in the churches that we're working with globally. And it's not easy to change, but this I want to tell you, the Lord is the same and His Word is the same and His call has not changed. And we keep saying that the moment that we've been in uh, has not paused the mission that we've been on. In a sense, what God did was He didn't stop what He was doing. He paused what we were doing to remind us again of what He is doing and also to bring us back to understanding that actually without Him, we actually can't do anything. We've claimed that and we quoted that, but we realize that more and more again, 
that God's call requires us to lean into Him, lean on Him, and also come back to listening to His voice and simply living out what it is He's called us to do. And so I, I trust this evening. I trust these next few days together. We, we met together as a team for lunch and I just reminded the guys, we're not coming with the new and the yes fresh, absolutely. And this, we believe we've heard God. And we're gonna share stuff from what we believe God has put on our hearts. But, but we make no apologies that the word of the Lord is the same. And the call has not changed. And if it's changed, either then we were living in something else or maybe we need to get back to the thing God's called us to do. And so I trust this evening and this week We'll come back and say, yes, Lord. And, and we'll listen with fresh ears. And, and we'll allow some of those scales, friends, to be removed from our eyes so we can actually see again what it is God's doing. Uh, in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I, I love Eugene Peterson's version when he says in Proverbs 29, 18, he says, when people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, that's where they're most blessed. And so we cannot be ignorant in this season. Ignorance is not bliss. And we, we can be so distracted by what God's not doing because we can't see what He is doing. But I, I want to suggest He's doing some great things. He's done some great things. And this is a season of us kind of maybe being in the belly of a whale, sorting ourselves out. But the word of the Lord that's coming again is the same word. And God's calling us to step into the bigness and the more of what He has called us to do. We, we, we've been through a crazy season. And I don't know if it's going to get crazy. It probably will. But let me say this. I believe the church in our great nation has expanded in, in, in unexpected and irreversible ways. There's no going back. We cannot be nostalgic for a season that no longer exists. We are in this season now, and God has called us to not one day get back to, but in this day, in this time, partner with Him, work with Him, and understand He's in what we're involved in, and He's doing it, and He wants us to keep partnering and journeying with Him. And I love that about God, is we need to live in the now and partner with Him now in His plans and His purposes in this season, through this season, into the great seasons that lie ahead. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you please to turn with me to the book of Colossians. And again, we have to start here. Colossians chapter 1. I loved our emphasis. And let me tell you, if we emphasize anything other than Jesus, I'm asking you to run out that door and don't come back. We make no apologies. Without Christ, we have nothing. It's for Him. It's about Him. And these are not cliches. This is where He's brought us back to again and again and again. And He'll keep bringing us back here because Jesus Christ matters more than anything else. Now, I'm not asking you, do you know this? Because I know you do. I'm asking as I bring up this mirror, the Word of God, the mirror do we look in the mirror and say, yes, I must adjust to what he's saying? Yes, what person looks in a mirror, sees all these issues, pretends they didn't see it and walk away? The Word of God is a mirror, friends. And this week, the Lord wants to raise that mirror, not to make us feel bad, to adjust us. Not do you know this, but what are we doing with what we know? Are we living this? Are we being it? Are we doing it? Rather than we know how to quote it. We know how to tell everyone else. I think that uh, I've said this and I've been in trouble for saying it because 
A lot of people said, well, it didn't really work out like that. Well, I think it might have, but I, I felt at the beginning of 2020, God said it's gonna be a season of release. And I was like, bring it on, what a time, a season of release. God's gonna just back everything we're about, get behind everything, we're gonna have everything we need for the, and boom, three months later, we were shut down, locked down, the whole world was locked up. The church was shut down, in a sense, and people who heard me speak on that began asking me from all around the world, what happened to that word you spoke? I was like, I don't know. I'm sorry, I would never claim to be a prophet, but, but what's interesting, looking back, how God has released us of so many things. I never saw this coming, but this I know, looking back, we have been released of many things. We as the church in our great nation have been so busy with stuff and ministry and things that seem so important. Things we were busy giving our lives to, laying our lives down for, and ministries and our families and, and all these things that we've embraced that were good things. But they were killing us and destroying us because they weren't from God. They were from the expectation of what the church is called to do. And the Lord in His graciousness allowed us to be released of, but God doesn't take for the sake of taking. He, I believe He released us from in order to release us into greater things. And we're in this greatest season and we're looking as a season of effectiveness. And, and I do believe God's released us from many things. I believe in this next season, deep is gonna be way more meaningful than wide. Intimacy will become everything and numbers will mean very little. Performances will fail, but fires will rise. Fruitfulness will override results driven. Radical will thrive and nominal will fall away. Authentic and raw will beat polished. Prophetic innovation will outstrip religion. And deeper meaning will rise while old structures will fall. And there will be a tearing down of the old and a building up of the new. And I want to say, get ready for the times they are a-changing. What a time to be alive and leading God's people and serving Jesus in a nation that we live in today. There is a tearing down. My friend, uh, Ken Grenfell, and many of you know him. He's on our team. He's a prophetic guy, and he's based in uh, Virginia. And he had a dream and a prophetic word that he gave me in 2019. And he said this. He was driving a vehicle full of people, and he was on his way to an NCMI prayer meeting. And he dropped everyone off at the prayer meeting from his vehicle, and then he went and he parked his vehicle, and then he started walking towards the building where we were having the prayer meeting. And then he realized that he had forgot his Bible and his notes in his vehicle. So he turned to go back to the vehicle to get his Bible and his notes. And when he got there, the vehicle was gone. It had disappeared. And so he turned and he started walking back to the prayer meeting. And we all came out and said, where were you, Chi? You missed such a great prayer meeting. But on his way, he was devastated because he had lost his notes. But there he found his Bible in the car park on the way to the meeting. Now, I want to tell you, that stirred me at that time because I was all about, we need to get back to praying and trusting God and leaning more on prayer and not just getting ministry driven, actually coming back to trusting God and praying. And so I, I took that point from his, his prophetic picture, and this is what he said, though. He said, he woke up 
and his interpretation. This was 2019, before we knew any of this COVID stuff. And he said this. He said, I believe this is what God said. He said, the vehicle that I was driving represented the church or ministry. And the church or ministry disappeared, was gone, was taken from us. Now, this wasn't 2020. This was 2019, November, in Toronto, Canada, he told me this. He said it was gone. It disappeared. He said, but what I felt God say for the church going forward was that it's going to be the Word of God, because that's all that he found, not his notes, the Word of God, and substantial prayer, because he was on his way to a prayer meeting. It's those two things that's going to help his people, us, the church, Function and fulfill the thing and walk in the things of God. And then a few months later, shut down COVID and everything else. And I want to say he didn't know about COVID. He didn't know. I asked him, did you know that we were going to, like, the church was going to literally shut down? He said, of course not. I'm grateful for honest prophets who don't take the glory for something they didn't say. But what I do want to say is coming out of this season, it's still substantial prayer. And it's still the word of God only. It's going to keep us functioning in the things God has. When I mention prayer, I'm sure you're all like, yeah, yeah, we should pray. But can I say prayer is not monologue. I think we've been taught in the church to tell God what to do and tell God what we need and tell God what we want, and we call that prayer. That's not prayer. Prayer is a dialogue. And can I suggest we need to hear more from Him than He needs to hear from us. And so I think going forward, it's not us telling God, it's not us asking God, you do this, Lord, and I need, no, no, it's what do you want us to do, Lord? Are you there, my friends? It's wonderful to tell God, it's wonderful to have moments with God of the stuff we're struggling with and what we require of Him, but what are we doing when it comes to, is He speaking to us? Doesn't mean we don't have those moments, but if that's all we're doing, we're only actually half praying and we're going to miss what it is God's called us to. You know, friends, I want to suggest we need to go to God more than we go to anyone else. And we need to ask God. If you're a leader here tonight, you're leading God's people. How about asking the Lord of the work what He wants us to do? Rather than, I heard this and I downloaded this and I podcasted this and I heard this and someone gave me great advice. How about asking the one who's in control of it all, who knows everything? Someone said prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. That's us, weak. He is strong. He's in control. But I also want to say it's okay, and maybe you disagree with me tonight, but it's okay to just go to Him and be with Him rather than always ask Him. You're not wasting time as leaders or people of of God hanging out with Him. My dad lives in Australia. I'm desperate to go see him, but all the nonsense with this COVID Rules in Australia, it's very hard to go there right now, even as an ex-Australian. And, and, but, but let me tell you, I'm about, I've booked in faith to go. Now I'm going to try and go there. But I'm not going to go sit at the table with my dad and have dinner and ask him, do you have something you want to tell me? Is there something you'd like to say to me? Is there something you want to put into my life? Is it, it's awkward. It's weird to sit with someone that you love and ask them to speak into your life all the time. You would have an odd relationship with your father if that's how you roll. But that's how we roll with him. All right, Lord, i got half an hour. You better get to the point. Tell me what I need. No, no, friends, how about we just hang out with him? I mean, can I be brave enough to say, I get to sit with this king of mine, my father, and I just say to him, hey, Lord, you know everything I need. 
You know what I'm asking for. You know what I need in leading this team. And so, but here's the deal. Even if we just sit and not do anything, it's good enough because you're my father and I'm your son. And I'm telling you, there is ministry that is birthed. There is life that is needed in the church again, in the pulpit again, that comes from just being with him rather than telling him or asking him. Are you there, friends? I do believe when we pray, we need to focus on him. It's a relationship. Can I say it's not to get more from him, but to get more of him. Change our prayer life. Not to get more from him, more of him is what I think we need right now. So prayer is essential. And I hope we don't stop praying even when the season shifts to whatever. And we're back to being in control and knowing what we're doing. No, no, friends. We need to press into God all the time. But that second thing of of the word of God, and I'm sure you all agree, yeah, the word of God is important. But I want to tell you the word of God, I believe, believe, reveals the plans of God, the purpose of God. I can't just go to the Word and pick a few scriptures that I hang on to. These are the promises of God. No, you read Genesis to Revelation. You see, everything in the scripture is about the purpose and the plans of God. And I believe that what's required of us as we read His Word is to get back to the purpose of God, prayer and purpose, not just some precepts, not just some great thoughts, not some great texts. The whole Word of God reveals the plans and the purposes of God. And that's where God wants us, friends, in this season, to come back to His plan, His purpose, knowing what it is He's called us to. It's the Word that reveals us. What we've learned in this season is that God is not committed to your and I dream. God is committed to simply His purposes. And He will allow and do whatever is needed to be done for His plans and His purposes to be fulfilled. Let me say this too. That there's only one who can take you out of the will of God. Are you ready for who that is? You. Only one can take you out of the will of God. It's you. Not the devil, not your preachers, not your pastors. You. By not knowing the purpose of God, the will of God, that's why we need to keep coming back to it. And we got to, I keep saying, we got to stick to his plan if we want to walk in his purpose. And sad though, friends, for so many believers today that the Bible has become a stimulus for self-exploration rather than a summons to join in God's global purpose. We've got to stop seeing self-exploration as I read the Bible and read what it really says. We've been summoned to join Him in His plan and His global purpose Now, I want to also just say that truth is eternal. However, application is temporal. And we need to know the difference. That the truth is never going to change, but the way we apply it is always changing. It's it's temporal. And so don't get stuck in this is how we've always done it, because God's changing some ways to be more fruitful in this season, and we've got to go with it. We're not changing what we've been called to, but we are changing at times how We've got to stop doing what we did 20 years ago and come back to what God's doing today. But he hasn't changed his plan. He's just helping us be more effective in a time and a season that we're in. And so I, I want to talk, if I can, just for the next little while, about ministry that matters. I, I'm going to share stuff you've heard me say. I'm actually going to be bold enough to preach a message I've preached in your probably your church. But I do ask us to look 
with fresh eyes tonight to what really matters. I, I don't know what you found yourself doing in these last 18 months, but for me, I began again, have the privilege of leading this global team into all these nations, and I began asking these questions, what matters? What really matters? When all is said and done, when everything's taken from, what really matters? And it's a good question because it gets us back to what really matters rather than what everyone else. I've learned this, that people lose their way when they lose their why. We lose the why we do what we do, then we lose our way. In actual fact, I believe the Bible tells us what, but it also explains why. And we shouldn't just quote the Bible says this, so that's why. We should actually, why did God say that? You know, God knows best. And when we just say, well, the Bible says so that, why did God say that? Because He knows what's best for all of us. It's the why, not just the what. And I do believe this, even this weekend when God's speaking, He wants to remind us of the why, not just the what. And don't lose your way through this. And so I want to talk about what gives value to what we value. What really matters? What gives the value to what we value? You've heard me say this, but the most revealing thing I believe about the church is found in our ideas of Jesus. What we believe about Jesus is the most revealing thing about us as a people. It's not the buildings, the facilities. It's what we believe about Jesus that reveals most about us as His followers here on earth. And I'm still convinced that a correct view of Christ is necessary in order to have a correct view of anything and everything else. See, we can stand up here and talk about different ministries we're passionate about, and I've got some that I'd like to get to, but if we don't have a correct view of Jesus, then I want to tell you, we'll have a, a no correct view of anything else. That's why it is essential to keep on coming back to the main one being the main thing in everything we say and everything we do. Our Christology, as we all quote, our Christology determines our missiology. Now, missiology determines our ecclesiology. And, and now we can also say our ecclesiology helps us with our eschatology. Some of you in this room are all about end times. Well, let me tell you what helps you truly have a biblical understanding of end times is coming back to our Christology. Our revelation of Jesus determines our mission. We're going to talk mission this week, but let me tell you, Jesus is the one who motivates us. If we don't have a correct view of Jesus, we're never going to walk in the mission God's called for us. We have cheerleaders and evangelists come and tell us you're not doing enough and do more, and then they're going to leave and we're going to go back to our own lives. If Jesus is the main thing, we're going to automatically live in the bigness of the purpose and the mission God has. And so I'm convinced there's no tricks to this. When I look at how Paul addressed the issues in the church and try to motivate people and deal with sin in the church and deal with immorality and deal with division and all the stuff we face today, he kept on pointing them back to Christ because that revelation will help in determining everything else. It's not that hard, but we've made it so complicated because it's too easy. But the Lord is requiring of us to get our eyes back on a correct understanding, our Christology, our revelation of Him will determine everything else. Our missiology, which will determine our ecclesiology, our church will find its place when we understand who Christ is. And our end times understanding will find its place in the role we play in bringing the end for Jesus to come back. Are you there? Not new. So I want to say we need to re-Jesus Jesus. 
We need to read Jesus, Jesus. We, I know that does, it's not in there. You try to type that in, it comes up red. Read Jesus in Jesus. I have said this. I think COVID-19, I'm not here to highlight COVID-19. I'm here to highlight the season we've been in. But I do believe it's exposed many things in our nation, good and bad. It's exposed many things that it continues to. But I want to tell you the church got exposed too. We, God's people, got exposed in this season too. Not to covid to a whole lot of other stuff. And one of the things I think has been revealed more than anything is that the church in this great nation, we the church, have had the wrong foundation on which we've built on. Too many churches have been built around ministries or charismatic giftings or personalities or something other than the main thing being Jesus. And when the shaking took place, not the devil shook, the Lord shook. What happened was the, 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 the foundation was exposed. We have built on the wrong foundation. We've made it about so many God things and good things rather than the main thing. And I feel like, I believe, I trust, I hope, I'm asking the belly season of the whale, we've come out, that we've reconnected with our head, Jesus Christ. And that we have reconnected with our bridegroom king. And we are now going to do far more for him and with him, not out of duty or out of religion, but out of a relationship and our love for who he is and what he's called us to. Can you imagine a church so in love with their king, they would actually do what he said? So loving him by his love language of obedience. Not because we have to, not because we're duty bound, not because we're religious. We do not need more religion in the church. We don't need another religious group anywhere in our togetherness. We need to be followers of Jesus who are reconnected to our head and are so enamored by him, so struck by him, so living with this bigness of who he is, that we must do this because we get to do it with him, not just for him. I'm not here. I'm trying to not be too excited because I don't want you to be cheerled this evening. It's not about what I'm saying. It's about what the Spirit is saying to us and how are we responding, my dear friends? It's like the Lord has given us a moment as followers of Christ to fix what needs to be fixed as leaders in the church, to get the eyes of our people, the eyes of us, of our ministries and our gatherings and our buildings and our songs and our structures and, and get their eyes back on the King who are enamored with Him, who are motivated by Him, making Him the focus of it all. And that's not attractive to some, but it's the attractive to the Lord. And the Spirit is attracted to where there is revelation of Jesus and He's been made much of. That's what I want. Not people, not pleasing. What is it he's called us to? Amen? All right, quickly, let's read Colossians chapter one. Verse three, it says this. Paul writes, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up from you uh, for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. That has come to you, verse six, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been do doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. I love Eugene Peterson's message. He says, it doesn't diminish or weaken over time. 
This gospel does not diminish or weaken over time. Verse seven, he said, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us of your love in the spirit. Verse nine, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray that in order, this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Some versions say that you'll live well for the Master and may please Him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. As you learn, I love how this is, is, basically some versions say, as you learn more and more how God works, you'll learn more how you to work. Verse 11, being strengthened with all his power according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience. Some versions say that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not, to grim, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives you. I love that. It says, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man, I want to stop there, but I mustn't. Let's carry on. Verse 15. The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. Some versions say, from beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. And in him, all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, everything, he will have preeminence, first place. Supremacy. I, I, I don't know how many times I've read this text. I don't know how many times recently I've preached on this. And I made a commitment to the Lord that whenever I get to preach, I'm going to go start in the scripture. Because we're not tagging Jesus on. Jesus has got to be the focus of everything. Every other teaching must find its place under him, not next to him. I've just read it again, and as I read it, it hit me again. Is he really first in everything? Is he really, not on a Sunday, not on a day, not tonight, in all things, he'll have first place. You see, a correct revelation of Jesus will give us a correct view of everything else. First place in everything. Jesus and nothing. I've watched, listened to the, the noise of this season, even in the church. 
I've watched us go at each other and speak about things that are so dear to our hearts that maybe God put in our hearts and maybe they are God causes, but they have been on next to Christ and very quickly have taken the place of Christ. And the moment they are next to Jesus, they take the place of Jesus, those very things from heaven for us, therefore then divide us because they're next to him rather than under him. Now, I don't know how else to say this. It's so simple. But that's what gives value to what we value. There's, I don't know how many people in this room tonight. And I want to tell you, all of you, if you're a believer here tonight, all of you carry something from heaven for this season that is a cause, that is something God put you on this planet for, and you're passionate about it. And if we handed you the microphone tonight, you would just ooze into that. Even if we ask you to speak of something else, you're going to come to this. Why? Because it's who you are. It's what you're about. It's what matters to you. And it's awesome and it's needed. However, it's a destroyer of the kingdom if it's next to Christ rather than under Christ. And somehow we, the church, have to come back to this, not just tonight, again and again and again. And understand the value of what you value has no value if it's next to Jesus. But what gives value to what we value is when it's under Christ, not next to Christ. It's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus, then everything. That's what it means to have first place in it all. Does that make sense? So I, I, I was taught that my dad was leading this team and his big thing was the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's so profound. But what I realized is actually that made a lot of us become about the thing we're passionate about. And I realized it's actually not. The main thing is not to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main one the main thing. I, I would challenge you, that's the most difficult thing to do in the church today. And that's why we've got to keep hearing it and it has to move from head to heart. And it has to move from mirror to say, actually, do our people know this? Does the world know this? They know about our buildings and our churches and our ministries and how awesome we are. But do they know about Him? Do they know that it all revolves around Him? That it's for Him and only Him? See, causes are dangerous. What I've realized is that the cause militant Christians tend to be the most spiritually passive people. They're on a cause and they've excluded Christ from it. They're not even spiritual. They're just cause-driven. And they're destroying and they're militant in what they believe. And they're destroying the church because it's not under Christ. It's next to Him or it's taken the place of Him. Let me step on all of our toes. If it's easier for people to guess your politics than it is to guess your religion, well, then your religion, your politics have become your religion. Hello? I guarantee we can walk through this room and tell you you're Democrat, Republic, Independent, or whatever you are, but do we know you're a follower of Jesus? Does Jesus even feature, not in your party, in your life? in the church you're leading, in the stuff that you're passionate about, what you're contending for, the causes that you're passionate about, are they under Christ or have they taken the place of Christ? 
You have no value in what you're doing. Your life carries no value if it's not under Christ. But it's next to Him. It's done. Again, how do I explain this? Well, the best way I can is I'm just trying to be as practical as I can. So I'm going to, please don't lose me. Just, I'm going to tell you what I'm passionate about, and then I'm going to show you there's no significance in this without Him. Okay, quickly. Are you with me? I'm trying to hit everything here. See this? What does that say? Ah, oh, you can read. That's awesome. We'll go this side. Life. Any Canadians here? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> I was going to say a Canadian joke, but I won't. Life. Do you see this? No, no, I'm not. Uh, there are two things I want to say. Your life matters. Please hear this. If you don't believe your life matters, good luck helping other people understand their life matters. Somehow we love to tell people how valuable they are, but we don't know how valuable we are. How can we love our neighbor if we don't love ourselves? Are you there, my friend? So we love to tell people their worth and their value, but we don't know ours. And I want you to know tonight, you matter. I don't care what they're saying out there. You matter. You matter so much that I'm convinced Jesus would have come just for you if you were the only person on the planet. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that if I was the only man on this planet, I believe Jesus would have come just for me. And what makes me better than you? Nothing. He would have come just for you. You matter. Your life is essential. Your life is valuable. And I don't know how you ended up being, well, I do know how you got to being born, but I don't know your story. But here's what I want to tell you. It's not wrapped up. No, I'm just trying to, I understand biology, just so you know. I have three sons of my own. But what I'm trying to say is this. Many people value themselves in their story or devalue themselves in their story. I just have to believe the whole Bible. And the whole Bible is that you are made in the image of God. And secondly, He created you and formed you and fashioned you according to Psalm 139. And I'm just going to tell you, contrary to what you've been told out there, you matter so much that He came for you. He died and He purchased you and I with His blood. And so you matter. I need you to know that. Your life is a reflection of the Creator God. You were made with dignity and honor and destiny and duty and response. You and I have been made with the plans and the purposes of God. Before any of them lived out, Psalm 139, he has written them in a book. It's such a great text. If we had time, I'd go read it. And I want you to know you matter. But I also want you to know, so do they. We matter, they matter, everybody matters. I don't care what cliches, and forgive me for being honest, are thrown around, and this life matters that much. You and I and every person, 7.8 billion people on this planet, every one of them matter to Jesus. And we've got to somehow stop elevating animals over people. I'm serious. I'm not here to fight. I'm here to say what's gone wrong, even in the church. Friends, I've watched followers of Jesus step over bodies, lying in the street, begging for food and money, and we step over those people to go rescue a cold dog who's freezing in the background. And we say, the poor dog, let's take care. And we we say, what about these people? What's their fault? Who are they? I mean, who cares? They chose to be there. They, they, this, the economy, they could go get a job right now. Everyone's looking for it. And we just like, where's the dignity? 
Oh, but the dog who's not going to heaven, just so you know. I'm not fighting you. I'm just wait. And it's not in the world. It's in the church. And everything in our culture is devaluing what's most valuable to him. People. How are we going to reach people if they're not valuable to us? If we care more for animals. Yeah, oh, he is helping us. He's telling us, value people. All people. And don't take cliches from there. Everybody matters. And I understand the battle. And I understand that people are feeling devalued. But why do we devalue some so we can value others? Let's value everyone. Are you there? And some of you in this room have a passion. That's your, that's your passion. People, mercy, love people. It's all about people. It's all about. But let me tell you, that hasn't got significance if it's not linked to Christ. All right, are you with me? But you matter. So don't leave this meeting without understanding. I don't care what your teacher tells you, what your pastors tell you, what you've heard. You matter. And you've got to settle that tonight, dear friend. We've got to help people value people again. Let's get value back in what matters, not this other stuff. Only people. Jesus is not coming back for your buildings or for your animals or for your. He's coming back for people and they were made in the image of God. And maybe they jacked up, maybe they messed up, maybe they did choose to live on the streets, but God loves them. Maybe there's nations that we've yet to get to. Who cares? Well, America is such a big nation. There are unreached people that matter. We've got a job to do. I'm passionate about valuing people again. And somebody's got to step up and say, stop listening to the lie of our culture. Stop allowing people to tell us what we to value. You can just read the Bible. And the very beginning, made in the image of God, the, the crown of His creation is human beings. That He loves so much that when we messed it up, He sent His Son to rescue us to have a right relationship with Him again. Yet we step over bodies. And I was just recently in New York. Let me tell you, that's an interesting place. I'll just leave it there. And I saw some stuff that made me devalue people. I was looking for a dog. I'd rather have a dog right now than the stuff I saw. But I looked and my heart broke. What about these people? Would you come for them? 100%. He would have come just for them. He did come for them. Somewhere we got to stop the, the nonsense, stop listening to the voice of our culture who's devaluing people. Our government, I'm not talking, politics is devaluing people. And we're playing the game because we want to be culturally relevant. We're missing the value of the gospel of the very reason Jesus came to this world. Some of hundreds of us this evening, we need to say, that's it. We're not going to play that game anymore. We're not fighting them. We're just going to value what he values. Life is more important than anything else. All right, so if you don't get amen for that, I'm not getting too many more because it's getting harder. What does that say? Local church. You notice I didn't say church. Oh, yeah, we're part of the church. You know, we saved out and saved into, and we're kind of part of this big church, but we're not part of anything because we're just waiting for Jesus to come home. Friends, local church is essential. I don't care whether our government acknowledges it or not. Jesus is building his church. If he's building, it's pretty essential because it's the only thing he said he would build. I'm not here to push the church agenda. I'm here to say this matters to him so much that he said he's going to build it, of which he's the head of it. If he wants to be head, he's pretty important. This thing matters. And so I'm convinced that 
Life exists because God created us, but with absolute dignity and destiny. But I also see that God linked us into local church. Friends, you can't read Scripture without seeing that. Now, I'm preaching to the mostly converted because you're here tonight. But I want to tell you, there is a thinking out there, certainly by the season we've gone through, that I'm not sure I need church anymore. I've learned to just have online church for so long that I actually don't even need. And that sounds awesome, doesn't it? I mean, I'd love to be downloading my video to you tonight, lying in my pajamas, telling you how, how's it going in Chicago. It sounds awesome, but it's not biblical. And so we can play the cultural game and we can actually allow that to happen and get another subculture within the church culture. And just as long as people are attending something, who cares? God cares. We're going to come back to what matters. What matters is the church, local church. Every believer is linked and submitted and serving and in a local church. It's in the Bible. And we've had bad experiences with church. Yes, so have I. Doesn't mean we get rid of it. It means we fix it. But the local church is not an optional extra for deluxe Christians who are bored on weekends. Are you with me, friends? It's... Now, we've got to fix this. We've got to come back to the Bible, remember? What does the Word of God say? In the book of Acts, they were saved, added to the church. They gathered. They were meeting together. Every brick needs a wall. Every sheep needs a pan. Every priest needs a hood. Whatever is your thing, we need to be connected. You cannot find a biblical reference for being connected to Jesus and not connected to His body. We've got to stop apologizing for the church. We've got to fix it and realize the value of the local church. See the value. See it. Be part of it. And those of you who are privileged to lead churches, I hope you would be part of the church you're leading, even if you weren't leading it. And if you wouldn't, then you shouldn't be leading that church and stop doing church and fix it. Are you with me? Some of it's a paycheck. No, no, it's a conviction. This is God's way. And we have people with issues, and we got all the dramas that come with being in the local church, but it's God's way. It's valuable, and God's not going to change it. There is this challenge in our great nation. People come and say, I'm not sure I fit here. I'm not sure I belong in this church. It's like, I'm not sure there's much for me here and my family. And I mean, listen, I get it. This is the great nation. That if you don't like it, just go down the road, there's everything else. But we're missing something here. If we understand the value of the local church, God puts us where we go. We don't get to pick. Are you there? You know, if it was about being with friends, then you get to pick. But God puts you in family. I did not choose the family I was born into. I didn't, believe it or not. And I want to say, while I love my brothers, uh, I'd rather hang out with my mates. Why is that? Because we're not looking for friends. He puts you in family, and he puts you with people who are not like you. And you know why he does that? To help you grow up. And so the irritations we have in the local church, that's to help us mature and grow up. Isaiah 41, one of those great texts where God says, I'll put in the, in the desert the cedar and the myrtle and the olive and the, the, the acacia and all these great tree shrubs and bushes. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these tree shrubs and bushes that don't belong in the desert and they don't all belong together. But I'm going to take what doesn't belong in the desert, all belong together, and I'm going to put it all together. 
You know why I'm going to do that? He goes on to say, so people may see and understand and consider, it's the hand of the Lord that's done this. I've taken something unnatural and I've made it supernaturally normal and I'm putting people together to display my splendor. Oh, I'm not sure I, believe, I, I, I belong. No, no, you stick. Stop asking do I belong. Ask God where he wants us. And then we get involved and we stay the course and we submit to what God's doing, not to people, to God. And I understand. I recently, this week, was chatting to one of my friends who tried to plant an online church in England through shutdown, lockdown, and all the not. He went there to plant and ended up shut down. So he did this online thing. and had all these gatherings. But now it's open again. I'm like, okay, so how's the gathering going? He's like, actually, I've got all these people all over England, but not in the city I'm living. Well, that's great. Let's go plant some churches there. But clearly you don't have a church. And he said, you know what's sad is my kids are off the rails. My kids don't do the online thing. They kind of so I ask all these questions. So I suggested he goes and knits himself in one of our other churches. He called me. He said, I've been there for six weeks. My kids are on fire again. My family's on fire. Why? Because they found a home and they knitted in and their family's blessed. You can't make it up. God's not playing with us. Try some tricks. He's got a set pattern, a set way, and it doesn't matter what our culture tells us. It doesn't matter how we feel. It's where He wants us. We've got to just settle that thing and understand the local church is not an optional extra. You'll never grow if you're not planted in the house. Not attending, planted. All right, are you there? We're a family, not friends on a job. We're a family, and we stay together. We grow up together we stick it out. Now let me just say, build a venue, pastors. Sorry, Steve, this is great. We love it. Build a venue and you'll get an audience. Build a family and you'll get family. And what you build is what you've got to keep them with. So be careful you're not an audience or a show wondering why people are not planted in the house. We've got to come back to family. Family matters and that's how he presents his church. All right, you with me? Pastor's excited. Yeah, preach at time. Preach local church. Oh, man. Yeah, amen. amen. Okay, cool. Let's go quickly here. You will hear about this, I'm sure, a lot this week. If you don't, then I'm going to be surprised. You see this? Great Commission. Put your hand up if you haven't heard about the Great Commission. Thank you. <sighs> Relief. These are the last words of Jesus to his followers. What did he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go make what? Disciples of all nations. I want to tell you, the church has gone busy with a whole lot of stuff, but the main thing. We are called, my dear friends, to make disciples. And you cannot make a disciple if you're not a disciple. We've got to be it before we get to do it. We love to tell people what it means, but we're not doing it ourselves. You've got to be before you do. But I think if we ask people about the church and ask them, what do you know about the church? They would say, you have good gatherings, you have people. You have... But very few would actually say, you make disciples. I go to Starbucks. I must confess, I have an addiction problem. Caffeine. And I, I've never been to a Starbucks and said, excuse me, can I order a coffee? And they said, sorry, we, we don't make coffee here. So what do you mean? No, we don't make coffee here, but you're Starbucks. No, no, we've got all these wonderful muffins and donuts. And 
I'm like, where's the coffee? No, no, we don't make coffee here. I'd be like a Starbucks. You're known because you make coffee. That's your brand. You're misrepresenting your brand. Are you there? What does pizza have make? Not good pizza, but pizza. Imagine going there and say, sorry, sir, we don't serve pizza here. Is that, what, pizza, are you with me? You'd be like, what is this? Oh, no, no, we don't do pizzas here. We, we're trying some new stuff. Something wrong here. What about Krispy Kremes? I mean, what does that make? Fat people, but what else? What do they make? Sorry, that was bad. What do they make? Donuts. Why? Because they're known for their donuts. Are you there? They represent their brand. Well, I want to suggest we should be made... Known for making disciples. That's what we make. And if we're not making disciples, I want to strongly suggest tonight we're misrepresenting our brand. It's not an add-on or a tag-on. It's the mission Jesus gave to his people. All authority has been given to me. Now you're going to do this great commission thing. Followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. I love the decision and making a decision, but we're called to make disciples. A decision gets you to heaven. A disciple takes many people with him. Let's go make disciples. Let's go be disciples. Friends, I know that's not new, but this is valuable. This is what matters to him. If it's his last words, it should matter to us. I'm not asking, do you know this? Because you do. What are you doing with this? Are we making disciples? What's the fruit? What are we seeing? Followers of Jesus becoming better followers of Jesus. And it's not the leader's role. Every follower should be making followers. That's the mandate we've been given. All right, you with me? Okay, there's a whole lot of preaching I'm not getting to. Notice I've walked away from my notes. But it is in the Bible, I promise. Great Commission, you've heard of the gospel? I believe this is so essential right now for us. The Great Commission is in the context of this gospel. The gospel, the good news. It matters. This gospel. Let me just get to some notes quickly. I'm nearly finished. You guys have been really uh, patient, but I've got to land this with this. All right. Gospel. Let me say this. What we win people with. What we win people to is, uh, with is what we win people to. When we adjust the gospel, change it up to be more relevant to our society. When we make it a little more attractive, because mm, people don't seem to like what I'm presenting, so you're winning them to something that's no longer the gospel. How dare we who we've been entrusted with a message that belongs to him about him, and we think it needs to change to make it more palatable for our culture. What are we winning people with? Romans 1.16, Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. And I want to say this, the gospel needs to be told to the world. Not your church structures and your church life and how awesome your church is. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, it's the whole business of the whole church to get the whole gospel to the whole world. Not the evangelist, the whole church, the whole gospel, the whole world. You know, since Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. 
And I love that, but it's wrong. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's, I get what he's saying, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says preach the gospel. It doesn't say just go and be it and hope people ask, who are you and what are you doing? Are you with me? No, I'm not. I get what he was saying, but we are called to preach the gospel. You know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's like saying feed the, the hungry, but if necessary, give them food. Hey, we want to feed you, but oh, we don't have any food. But let me tell you, look at my life. This is what you could be. I mean, friends, feed them, preach. Paul said, I, I'm not ashamed of the God. He said, I declared, I preached to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Friends, let me just tell you, we better preach this gospel. I, as Charles Spurgeon said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either trying to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. He said, it cannot be there a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. He says, he who says he believes in Jesus but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him is a imposter. There is such distraction in our season right now. In the church and out of the culture and all this arm wrestling about vaccines. And, now, I'm not getting into all this. I want to tell you, in politics and nationalism and what we hate and all, let me, as I said the other day, and I got in trouble, but I'm going to get in trouble and say this again. I don't believe that maybe social media has enabled the lame to walk, but it's certainly allowed the dumb to speak. And there is this hate, and we are saying nonsense, even in the church, and we're quoting and re-quoting. And, and, and I, I want to tell you, it's like, it's not new. In actual fact, Jesus faced this with his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, I, it's like one of these great texts where the disciples came to Jesus in Acts chapter 1. They said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to take, they were conflating politics and nationalism and yeah, okay, and putting it all together, making it about a nation. Jesus didn't even go there. You know what he said? It's not for you to know times and dates that my Father has set by his own authority. Don't get caught up in that stuff. None of your business. I'm saying to you, that's none of our business. But we've made it our business at the expense of the business. And then he went on and said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What's he saying? Don't get caught up in that stuff. Get back to my mission. He, he focuses them on mission. One of the most challenging verses in scripture for me, Matthew 24, 14. And I hope it challenges you, friend. Jesus is talking about end times again and, and, he, and he says these things will begin to happen and these things, are, and then he says, but verse 14 of Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, all ethnos, all ethnic groups, all people groups, and then the end will come. What did he do? Refocus us on the mission. Yet we are arm wrestling about arm oh, and vaccines and this. You know what brings the end? This gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. If that's what brings the end, can I challenge us? That's what we should give our focus to. But we're not. We're so busy. At, and it's the unreached as well as the lost. 
I'm just going to challenge us. We are not just about seeing America saved. There are lost people in your city and mine, and of course we want to reach them. But I hear so many, 99%, 99 99.99% of our preaching, even in our ranks now, is about the lost in our cities. You know, the lost have at least had the opportunity to reject the gospel. I heard that in most cities in America, and I don't know how to that at least every 24 hours, someone in our city has the privilege of hearing the gospel in America. But in the unreached nations, every 30 years they get an opportunity. Are you listening? I don't feel bad. There's a challenge from heaven. This gospel. When I think about the income and the finances, most people don't want to do the uttermost parts of the earth stuff because it's difficult. It's dangerous too. You could die. But it's expensive. It's so much easier just to reach the people around us. But what about these, I think, uh, 7.8 million billion people in the planet that we know of, of which 3.3 billion have never had the privilege of hearing the gospel. And, and I hope that challenges you, but it's not enough to say, oh, it's like, we need to fix it. Who? Me, Lord. Us, Lord. The people we called. Not just about planting churches in America. It's about getting the gospel to the unreached so Jesus can come back. And when you look at the foundation, you look at the finances, and friends, I just heard this recently, so I don't know how true, but it, it slapped me in the face. When you hear that, I say, to reach an unreached person, one person, costs about 35,000 US dollars. Like, how do they get that? They say, by the time and the training and the people living and the people going, and $35,000 to reach one person. Some people are oh, it's just too expensive. Jesus gave his life for those people. And then you hear some of the budgets in America, and I heard that $20 billion in the church is, goes through embezzlement. $20 billion. $9 billion to conferences. $2 billion to the unreached which comes down to 0.01 cent of every dollar is about reaching the unreached. Now, I'm not asking us to feel bad. I'm asking us to get back to the gospel. That's the Father's heart for us. It's not just your city, not your region. It's the uttermost parts of the earth. And there are people dying daily who've never had the privilege of saying no to Jesus because they've never heard about it. And we're just trying to re-evangelize a many who are evangelized. Are you there? This, this has to grip our hearts. This is us. This is me. This is the team we call to lead. The churches we're in part of. We better get that heart for those people because Jesus came for them. I hope that stirs you. All right, I'm nearly done. Two more. Gospel. Heard about it? <laughs> Good news. Amen. This gospel is not just some great message. This gospel is the message of the kingdom. You know, when you and I, the gospel of salvation always puts us at the center of the message. It all becomes about us. And so we preach a gospel, it's all about you. As a gospel of salvation is Jesus died for you, it's all for you, he's there for you, whatever. And then when we start saying this other stuff, people are like, well, hang on, I thought it was all about me. You told me it's all about me. I got saved into it's all about me. Yeah, because we preached the wrong gospel. This is not a gospel about me. It's a gospel about him. It's the gospel of the kingdom. 
And the kingdom is the only thing that cannot be shaken. And we've seen some shaking even in our church, that church, globally. And God has shaken stuff. And that which is falling, guess what? Kingdom. I mean, not kingdom. The thing that stayed is the kingdom. Are you with me? The kingdom's not some abstract thing one day we get to live in. The kingdom is the rule and reign. We sang the song tonight. The reign, you reign. God, you reign. It's the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom. Wherever God breaks it. Friends, we are about the kingdom of God. We're not about the church. We're not about your church, my church, NCMI. Honestly, we're about the kingdom. This gospel is centered around the kingdom. The kingdom of God advancing and extending the kingdom. And I don't believe the church is the kingdom. And we've got to stop preaching the church as the kingdom. Because if the church is the kingdom, then the pastor is the king. Everyone's going to lay down their vision for the king. Well, last time I looked, he's the king, not you or me. And so we are the church, and the church is so necessary, but the church is not the kingdom. The, I believe the kingdom is in the church, and the church is in the kingdom, but the church is not the kingdom. We are the agency, the vehicle through which the kingdom comes. Our job is to extend and advance the kingdom, not bring everyone to us, but through us advance the kingdom of God wherever we go. And there's a major difference. And, and these people are saying to me, geez, Tyron, like, why can't we just sign up next to these other people? And, uh, you know, if you want to be that religion, you can be that. If you, want to be the, if you want to be a Christian, just be. Friends, if you don't understand kingdom, we can all get along. Yeah. Every group just gets along and choose your religion and but if you understand kingdom, you understand this is a conflict that'll never go away. It's getting worse and worse. There are two kingdoms in conflict. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. They don't coexist. They're not side by side. They are at each other day in and day out. So don't be surprised when you seriously kingdom of the conflict you embrace. Why? Because it's part of the mission. We can't coexist. God's not about coexisting, pick or choose. There's two kingdoms. If you're not in his kingdom, then you're in the other kingdom. And we are in conflict together. We're not fighting them. We understand the bigger picture. But don't be dismayed if you understand kingdom. And I love even tonight the whole emphasis on surrender. And it's only in the kingdom does surrender bring victory. We fight this thing, but when it's kingdom, it's surrendering to this. Are you, are you there? There's a whole lot about kingdom. I had a whole list of the difference in church and kingdom, but the good news is I can't get there for you pastors, so you'll be relieved. Let me land with this. Great, Tyron, all right? So, I mean, there's more to it, I know, but I think these, one, two, three, four, five, these five causes will probably sum up most of our passions globally. You either passionate about one of that or some of that, and it kind of everything can fall into some of that. I want to, again, remind you that none of these matter without this. Are, are you with me? This is, this is what gives value to everything. Your life matters nothing if you don't understand who he is. We'll never know who we are until we know who he is. That's what Peter said. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon. That didn't come to you from, my father, uh, from a man, but by my father. Matthew 16. And then he said, and you of Peter, and on this rock. On your revelation of me, I'm going to build the church. Why? Because your life doesn't matter if it's not linked to him. So the value, we can talk about how important we are, but until we know him, we're not going to know our value. Until we know him, we're not going to see them as valuable. We're going to keep running after the animals at the expense of people. This value that you have passion about only 
can be valuable because of our king. And so if we live our lives in context of this king, if we see people in context of this king, I want to tell you, be better husbands, better pastors, better friends, better leaders when you live your life in context of him. You can't be better if you don't know him. He gives value to everything we do. All right, you with me? Okay, cool. Local church, yeah. Got no value if it's not linked to the king. This king, the only king, who we read about in Colossians 1, brings value to the local church. Like if we just, pastors got people in love with Jesus, they would find their value in the local. If you preach local at the expense of Jesus and put him, his church next to him, it's going to take the place of him and not have value. No longer essential. But the value of the local church, you, you pastors, lead your church in the context of a king, his people, his church. Gives value to that. Okay, cool. What about great commissions? Who gave you? Why is it a great commission? Because of him. There's no, it's just another mission without him. Which makes it great? Him. Who makes it great? Him. What gives value to us discipling and followers of Jesus? The King. Right? What about the gospel? Gospel is useless without being about the King. It's just another message, another add-on, a tag-on. The King gives value to this. Let me say, what good is a kingdom? What is a kingdom without a king? It's such a simple truth. In my humble opinion, it's the most profound truth there is. It's this and only this. Not having a place, having first place. Your cause that you've given your life to, forgive me for being honest, it's a waste of your time and your energy and your income. Stop wasting your time. If it's taken the place of him, it's not valuable anymore. If it's next to him, it's going to take the place of him soon. But when that comes under Christ, all these causes that we carry are going to unite and be way more impactful. And we're going to find strategies to live it out and be it not in competition, complementing one another. The passion you carry can have a place with us anywhere at any time if it's under him. Your thing that you're so passionate is gonna play a rightful place in our together. Your local church and the expression. And, and let me just tell you, we celebrate the diversity of our churches. No church in our ranks is the same. And we praise God for that. We're not trying to say you all have to be like me, act like me. We love, you can go into different, even here, we've got these different churches in Chicago that are partnering with us totally different churches, and we praise God. That's what it should be. Your effort, your passion, it can work, it can function. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. How do these giftings with different graces and different giftings all work together? Not just by a miracle, by a submitting to this king. When we bring our thing under him together, we are dynamite. But when you're trying to push your thing next to him, you're a danger to what God's called us to do. I'm asking with you and I, would we come back to that place? Not every equip, every day of our lives. Would you just bow your heads for a moment, please? I've said none of this is new, and I know that. 
But I honestly believe this is what the Lord wants me to share tonight to start us off. All I want to ask you to do is not respond to a man, but respond to our King. I'm not asking, do you know this? I feel like the Lord's hold, held up that mirror again. Not to trick us, to challenge us. What do you see? And what must you do from what you see? What needs to change? I don't believe it's a moment. I believe it's a daily, hourly walking. You first in everything, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You, you don't make us do anything. I'm so grateful you don't make me do this. You don't force your agenda. You, you're not forcing me to say this. You're beckoning us to come to that place of value, finding value and what you value. And Jesus, we don't want to read Scripture. I don't want to read Scripture. I don't want to preach and say all these great truths without honestly doing my utmost. Of daily, hourly, making sure the Lord of the work is more important than the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord always changes. But Jesus, you never change. I ask tonight, I don't even know how to ask, but I, I just ask for me and my friends in this room. She will help us to live in that place, to lead from that place, to value what you value by valuing you above everything else to bring in what we're about always under you, Jesus. To allow the offense of Christ, the things that people don't like, it doesn't matter. It's about you, Jesus. Those who will walk away from us because we're too Jesus-focused, so be it. Those who are offended by you, the rock of offense, so be it. But we do not want to play in this culture. We want to be serious, give our lives to something that matters forever. I pray, Jesus, that you'll take your rightful place, that in everything, all things, you'll have first place. And the stuff we get to do with you and for you will never take the place of you but always bringing us back to the things that matter most. 
We thank you you've called us. We thank you you've put us together for such a time as this. Thank you that you've never left us, that you've always been with us. Even in the season, in the belly of a whale, you were just adjusting us to come back to what you've said. And the word of the Lord came a second time, same word. And this time we want to respond. This time we want to go and be and do and say. So Lord, I do pray for us in this room. I pray for the season that's upon us. We'll not get caught up doing for you the stuff rather than connecting with you. Would you take your rightful place, King Jesus? We give you our hearts afresh tonight, our ministries, our passion. It's all yours. It's all yours. all belongs to you. Help us find value in that again the significance of your supremacy is what gives us significance in what we do. We thank you tonight, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you for who you are and what you've called us to. I pray your blessing on these wonderful people. Would you give us greater revelation, greater revelation. Show us the view of Christ, the correct view, as we bless you tonight in your precious name.